Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome, welcome. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher, and we have a special treat today. Marlene will attest to this. I have been nagging her for a long time to come be interviewed. I met her years ago at a homeschooling event, and she was seated across from me. Well, had the table across from me, right, Marlene? Do you even remember that? I do remember. Do you? Oh, yeah. Um, And she just had this array of gorgeous books strewn across this table, and I was just so curious. I had to know what she was up to. And of course, I instantly loved her, which I'm sure many people feel that way about her and wanted to get to know her better. And we got to talk several times during that event, connected a few times since. So it's just a a joy and a privilege to have her here. And I know it's not her very favorite thing in the world to do. So (laughs) I consider it a personal favor, probably just to get me off her back, to be quite honest. So I'll have you know, I put pearls and lip gloss on today. And that's the first time in a very, very long time. So it looks a special occasion. Oh, good, good. Yeah, you look, you look fantastic. Let me just introduce you really quickly for those that may not be familiar with you and your work. She's the founder of Libraries of Hope and what she, and she calls herself the finder of the well-educated heart pattern for learning. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. She and her husband, Brent, have raised eight daughters and one son, and I hope that son was okay with all of the girls around the house, and are thoroughly enjoying the grandparenting stage of their lives, of course. Although she has a degree in child development and family relations from Brigham Young University, her real learning took place in the laboratory of her own home. Amen. I can totally second that. Nothing like that. She currently lives in the beautiful countryside of Appomattox, Virginia, blissfully surrounded by the stories of history. So thank you so much for joining me. So excited that you're here. We're just going to start in a place that seems most natural to start. I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you were born, maybe how many siblings, kind of a little bit about your growing up years, what those were like. Sure. Um... I was actually born in Utah. I was born in Murray Maternity Hospital, which I understand is now a rest home. So I always tell my kids I can come in and out at the same place. (laughs) um, When we, when I was about six months old, my family moved to Southern California and that's where I grew up. Oh, you're a California girl. California girl. Um, I was blessed when we were nine, we moved to a place called La Cunada. And right across the street was a beautiful gardens, Descanso Gardens. I guess one of the founders of one of the big LA papers had built a mansion on the hill and had these acres and acres of gardens that that later was open to the public. So that was my playground. When I lived there, uh, we didn't have to pay to go in, so I could just go over in these acres of camellia forests and grassy lawns with with oaks and a duck pond. And so that was a very wonderful thing. Um, I had all brothers. I was always upset that everyone had a sister in my family, but me. <laughs> I said all my, do- all my sisters came as daughters and granddaughters now, but um, yeah. 
So I was, the thing that I would say about my childhood is I was really grateful that I had a mother who was not a helicopter mother. She mm. let me have lots of time to lay out on the grass and look at the clouds and, and uh, spend time with my imagination. And that was a, a really great gift as I look back on it. I wouldn't have done well with somebody managing my life. I still don't do well with that. So <laughs> I was very grateful for that. And my father, um, my father gave me a heritage of faith. He, um, when he was three years old, his family had come back from a trip in Bear Lake, at Bear Lake and he got very sick and, and uh, they discovered that he had contracted polio back in those horrible days. And for a long time, they didn't know if he would live. And then when he um, was able to get some strength, they didn't think he could walk. But it left him with a, a handicapped body. And um, years later, when he, he was reflecting on his life, and he wrote a book called Handicapped, Curse or Blessing. And he talked about... Um, and he told me that he learned that he couldn't compete in the world of beautiful bodies. And so he just developed the world inside. I think I picked wow. up a lot from my father, that he was a man of goodness and kindness and, um, and wise and was such an example, even though he was often treated cruelly. And I'll, I'll just share um, when I say a heritage of faith. He talks in this book about as a young man going out into one of the, the orange groves in California where he lived. And um, he had two desires on his mind. He wanted to serve a mission for our church and he wanted to marry and raise a family. And he'd already been told that he couldn't because of his physical condition. He had been turned down. And, and then he said, he just said, who would marry someone that looks like me? And he just had that sweet assurance that the blessings would be his. And he went on to serve not one mission, but two. Um, after he had been in New England for a while, his father was called to serve as the mission president of Sweden and asked if he wanted to come. And my mother was called. My mother, who was a beautiful woman and was actually promised to someone else, was called the first sister missionary after the war. And she went and worked in the mission home. And she got to know my father and could look past the outward and saw into his heart and what a good man he was. And she, she said, I've never told anyone but um, sacred circumstances that she knew she was to marry him. And, you know, what an example they are to me in every way. The last 10 years of his life, he was completely bedridden. And she just took care of him so patiently. And when I would go and visit him, never a word of of, you know, this is so terrible. This is always, always just so grateful, so grateful for everything. And he would say to me, don't you have the most beautiful, wonderful mother in the world, the most wonderful woman? So that's my legacy. That's my legacy. My dad's been gone for probably about 20 years now. My mom's almost 99. She's still kicking. Oh. <laughs> I just saw her a couple of weeks ago. But um, that's my legacy. That's wow. What they, they gave to me. That is beautiful. Do you mean when you said she was promised of someone like she had already gotten engaged or yeah, that was they had kind of an understanding that when she got back yeah. that they would be married. So um, oh. but, uh, wow. 
Wow, that's beautiful. So, um, so you're 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 growing up in La Pinata. La Kenyatta. Oh, La Kenyatta sounds a lot better, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> it's like La Canada with a little squiggle over the end. La <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and so you have this um, beautiful legacy from your parents of um, faith and goodness. So then, tell us about you know maybe during this time, some things that you learned about yourself? Wow. Well, I was tall and awkward <laughs> with thick glasses and braces. And um, that's, that's my legacy. You know? <laughs> I was the last one to be picked on all the teams. I was the brainiac of the class. So I got a lot uh -huh. of grief for that. So, um, I would say the most important lesson I learned, and, and this was, I was thinking about this. This was kind of set the stage for my whole life. Hmm. When I was about 14, I'd gone to a youth conference and um, just, you know, it was hard. I, I was, had, had no confidence in myself. Oh, wow. And I remember this one night, there was a dance on the last night and everyone around me got asked to dance and there I was just standing there you know that just and I and I just slipped out into the night and sat on a rock and when I got home I just I just fell by my bed and said heavenly father I don't know what to do I don't know what to do you know I just I was miserable I was lonely and it and I made this promise I will do anything anything just tell me and um, it was like, anything? Yes, anything. And the thought came to me, steak play tryouts or Saturday, be there. And there is nothing. So steak, of course, is the, you know, there was, they were putting on a play and um, nothing could have stricken more terror in my heart. <laughs> oh, I would have felt the same way. I was never in a play growing oh up. Oh my was, goodness, to have oh, that yeah. attention on me. And the feeling was, you get yourself on the stage and I'll help you. Wow. And, um, you know, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Yeah. So it was just, if totally. I get myself up on there, he would help. And so that was, it was nail biting, really white knuckle up to that moment. And I got myself up there. And when I opened my mouth, it was just like, whew, this peace just came over me and this confidence yeah. and I just I did my part and afterwards the director came up to me and said oh I wish all the youth had your confidence <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about but um but you know I, I just referenced that because after that it was okay you did that that was hard I helped you here's another hard thing here's another hard thing and that continues even coming on this interview with you was this this is a hard thing I don't want to do it but no, you get yourself there and, and it will be okay. And I, I think you can attest to that too, that in the strength of the Lord, we do what we do. It's not because yeah. we think that we are so great. It's because we know we're not, but he makes up the difference. And that has been the most important lesson. And yeah. uh, I'll way. never forget, um, I once had someone tell me, you know, oh, you're just so you know, you're just so courageous and, and confident. And I was so upset, you know, they, cause their comment was, well, you know, you're just, you're just so courageous and I'm not. 
Mm-hmm. And, and the implication of that was, you know, that it, it's somehow inbred, somehow yeah. it doesn't take work, you know, that I'd never really genuinely had to face real fears or do things that were genuinely hard for me. And that's, that's not true for any human being. You know, Absolutely. that's just a, that's just a lie, you know, that we tell ourselves so that we don't maybe have to do, I don't know if this person was kind of trying to make excuses for things that they were afraid to face, or I don't know what was happening with them, but I just, you know, I just kind of answered back. That's, that's not true. You know, we everybody, all everybody cannot follow a Lord and not expect to do hard things that Absolutely. are going to be scary. Absolutely. But he's always there. And that's where your confidence grows. Is he always, he's always there. Yeah. So did you, were you ever in a play again? Never. <laughs> never, never. I have no desire. <laughs> so it was just a learning experience. It was a learning. And it, it began, it introduced me to a circle of friends. And I did. A circle of friends were raised up that were just gold. And, uh, you know, it was just step by step. Wow. But that was the beginning step. Yeah. Oh, I just love that, Marlene. We talk so much at the Mission Driven Mom about this concept of just being willing. That willingness is just, it's just, and the the real difference in people is whether they're willing or willful. And if, if you will just be willing, you just don't even know what the Lord could do with you. Absolutely. I love somebody said, um, you have to, you have to keep moving. Let's see. No, the Lord cannot steer a parked car. Yes. You have to keep moving, but yes, you have to let him take the wheel. There's a story I heard years ago and it's a family there at Lake Powell, I think. And all of them are out swimming in the lake, including the 90 year old grandfather. And after a while they were getting tired and were trying to get climbed back into the boat. And the, the older grandpa um, didn't have the strength enough to pull himself up the ladder. So, you know, he just gripped hold of that ladder because he was af- afraid. Um, but it was too far for the people on top of the board to reach down and get him. And the people underneath didn't have the traction, you know, to push him up. And so here he was just in tight white knuckle grip holding onto the ladder on the side. And finally, the son just called over to the side and said, Dad, let go and reach up. And you know, that took a lot of courage to let go of that rail, but he let go and flung his arms up and the sons grabbed hold of his hands and pulled him up to the safety of the boat. And that image is in front of my mind a lot. You know, we're, we keep holding on to that which we can see. And the Lord is saying, let go and reach up. I gotcha, I gotcha. And uh, that takes courage, but yeah. such, such is the way he works with us. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So <clears throat> you put your acting career to bed and <laughs> so kind of what happens next? You, you, you run through those youth years and then what, what were kind of your next steps? BYU, mm-hmm. BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually went, I, I hated school. I will say that I hated school because people were telling me what to do all day. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yes, that is just me. I don't mm-hmm. like people telling me. So, so this is in college. Just, you're, so, you're I, not, so you're not liking that, like the, the confining feelings the of confining that? The confining of school. But I, you know, BYU was the place to go. So I, I just went there a semester early. I graduated and uh, early and went up to BYU. 
And um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. Uh, but I went to um, a meeting and it just discouraged me. So I kind of floundered a little bit. Mm -hmm. But again, one of those moments when I was out in the forest and trying to figure out things and the question is posed, well, what do you want more than anything? And, you wow. know, I went through all these majors and it was like, well, no, really what I want is to be married and have a family. And it was like, okay, <laughs> you know, that's a good choice. And, um, yeah. and like a week later, uh, I was living in the dorms and the power went out and we had to change our plans and we went bowling up at the Wilkinson Center. And um, I, I, I didn't know how to bowl, but I like creamed everyone. So I have this confidence, <laughs> this confidence in bowling. Uh -huh. And um, right after that, someone in the dorm said, there's this guy I know, he just got back from Sweden on a mission and he's looking for someone to be on the bowling league with him. Uh -huh. And I was like, well, I can do that. <laughs> because <laughs> I'd had this great game. So that's how we, we met. And actually, I had um, told the girl that was going to introduce us. I changed my mind, and I didn't want to meet him. And then it was just this chance meeting in the lobby one night. And it was just like this long-lost best friend. I mean, I just was really, um, something was just very, pulled me. I was only 18. I wasn't ready to get married. but So it, right from the beginning, you just it felt was the connection myself. to it? It was for me. Now, my husband, um, so we went bowling together. Um, I could bowl really well till we got engaged. And after that, it was gutter balls. So I'm pretty sure I had. I told my kids, I think they were on both sides of the lanes, keeping the ball going down there just to keep him interested. <laughs> um, so so we went bowling and one night he was with his roommates and he had decided he'd met my roommate and myself at the same time. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, well, I'm going to ask out whoever answers the phone. And so he called up and my roommate answered the phone and he goes, is Marlene there? <laughs> and I said, it's a good thing you said that. Cause if you had asked my roommate, I would never have gone out with you. So, you know, little things yeah. that uh, make a difference but uh -huh. anyway. So I was very young, but um, no regrets. We're going to be married um, 40. Uh, oh, he'll kill me if I don't get this right. <laughs> 46 years this August. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. That is a, one of the greatest accomplishments I think anyone could ever could ever it's, accomplish. It's a rarity, but I'm blessed to be married to my best friend. And I know that's, well, I'm just grateful. Oh, and then the next cool. part, the children. So I was ready to have children and we couldn't. And that was another one of those let go and reach out moments where really? I finally- How long did it take to figure that out? Well, you know, um, so by other people's standards, it's not very long. It was three years. But oh, when okay. you're ready, so I had yeah. friends and they get married and had a baby, then they got yeah. another baby. So mm -hmm. I went through that time of, I didn't know if I could. And um, so were you just going to school while you were Yeah, just going to and, school mm -hmm. and praying for that. And I, I realized that there aren't a lot of women mentioned in the Old Testament, but a lot of them go through that trial of yeah. not being able to have children. So having mm -hmm. passed through that, and then coming to this moment, it was another moment of letting go. I just said, Lord, you know, I want children, but if that's not to be, there's other ways to mother. And so I actually went to the University of Utah and enrolled and was accepted in their teaching program. Oh. And, um, 
and it was like okay and uh and then i well under special circumstances we found out we were expecting and there were eight babies in 11 years <gasps> and of course everyone thought we were crazy but for me having gone through that time of not knowing if i could it um every baby was a gift every baby was a gift and not uh, i was just so grateful and then our ninth um our ninth child actually came to us when she was she came to us when she was 11 she falls right between my last two and that's another story but yeah. um, that's why we have two annas people think we just ran out of girls names and <laughs> we used one but um, we're so grateful that she's part of our family too oh and just happened to have the same name as one of your daughters of right. one of your other daughters Right. Wow. When she was adopted, they told her she could, she might kill me for saying this. They told her she could change her name and she wanted to be named Yellow. <laughs> and we kind of steered her away from that, but <laughs> oh, that's uh, we love her. We love her. So maybe she's happy she didn't do that now. Oh, I think she is now. <laughs> Definitely. Cool. So they're all very close in age then. Uh, yeah. Nine within 11 years. It's a big crew. Yeah. yeah. So what were some, what were some, one of the things that we talk about at the Mission Driven Mom is uh, some, some principles of, we talk about self-care, we talk about self-management. So as a, as a mom of younger kids and then older kids, what were some things that you learned about, you know, what were some ways maybe you had to learn to better manage your emotions, yourself, take care of yourself, and that kind of thing that might be helpful to other moms going through that? Oh, well, you can imagine life was kind of chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, lower expectations way, <laughs> way down. Um, and we went through, through some really, really hard, hard years. Lots of, yeah. you know, we all have our challenges, what we go through. Yeah. And I just remember my, my sanity was that um, I realized that it is more draining to think about all the things you don't have or that you didn't do mm. than it is to focus on that which you do have and that which you do have control. So it was kind of a mind yeah. thing of yeah. focusing on, I, I don't have this, but I do have this. Yeah. And that helped get through it a lot. Oh, gratitude is huge. It yeah. Is. And the focus of optimism and looking at the good and which faith, which faith gives all those gifts yeah. to us. And it? I'm sure it sounds like that spiritual self-care has always just been part of your it's my daily lifeline. routine. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Um, what is maybe one piece of advice you might give to younger moms who feel like they're in the trenches that way? Oh, be kind to yourself. Mm. You know, I think one of the things that I, I see most often is this panic of, oh, I've only got three more years. I've only got six more years. I've only got one more year. You know, as though when your children turn 18, poof, they're gone. You know, mm. no, the relationship deepens. Your, your role as a mother will continue for your whole life and your relationship changes and the challenges your children will will encounter as adults you can't anticipate as when they're children and so you know the most important thing is to make sure that relationship is there yeah. that um that your kids will come to you when they have something 
that is troubling them and that you can be a support to help them through uh, huge and that life goes on. There's so, I had no idea how much of life is on the other side of raising children. Yeah. There's, there's so much. And so, oh, definitely don't let those interests, don't bury your interests. You're, you're still, you're a mother, but that doesn't mean you can't have any number of interests or things that you're pursuing. Um, You've got to have that. Yeah. You've got to have that. Yeah. 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 That's, and that's actually been a, a common thread through many of the women that I've interviewed. I don't know if you've ever heard of Eagle Forum or Phyllis Schlafly, mm-hmm. but a couple months ago, I was able to interview her daughter and, and she kept quoting something that her mom always said. And, and she would say, women can have it all, just not at the same time. Amen. It's true. And you can, you can, you know, and that was, she was, you know, had a, I don't know, master's doctorate. I don't know what degree she had master's degree. She was doing big, important things in Washington and, and that kind of thing. And when she started having kids, it was just baby time and she turned that all off. And, but she was still, you know, after, you know, as they got a little bit older then she, you know, she made sure she was involved politically and then, you know, opportunities to have influence came and, but it's true. There are, um, and there have been women, you know, join our, our MDM Academy specifically that have had their children all leave home. And now they're kind of wondering, yeah, what, what now? And not that they're not very involved with their children, but you know, we live in a privileged, pretty privileged time. We have a lot of time saving devices at our hands, which, you know, enables us, empowers us to actually do more good if, you know, if, if we will. So. Absolutely. Okay, um, so tell us then about, you know, you have these intense years with all of these little ones, they start um, to kind of leave home. What are some things, even maybe when you were a younger mom, but maybe as your kids started to get a little bit older, what are some things you knew about yourself that maybe were kind of like, clues to you about some things you know what were you doing um i know that self-education is something that you really promote a lot um did you did you like to read like kind of your own self-discovery journey i guess what was kind of happening with you in the midst of all of Mm -hmm. of of raising your kids well you know it's ironic that here i am um my home my walls are lined with books. I probably, I haven't counted them. Probably, I think we estimated six or 7,000 books yeah. down there. And yeah. uh, obviously read a lot. I did yeah. not read <laughs> probably well, until after I graduated from college. I yeah, mean, I me read, too. but not yeah, like, either. you know, just didn't. Yeah. Uh, I think school killed that, that when you have the assignments, it's the freedom that opens it. But, you know, after I discovered it's like, oh, I wish I could get those years back because mm-hmm. That's that. I think that's one of my sad things about getting older is I start counting the years and think I am not going to get to these books. <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's an eternity to read them. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that was um, that. And I didn't read a lot with my kids. They all remember a book that I read out loud with them. Uh-huh. And uh, we had that moment, but it wasn't like we were huge readers, but yeah. all my kids are readers now. Yeah. And I'm also a reader, but I think it took, I think that's why I promote so much 
freedom in education because once you feel that freedom and you are doing it because you love it and because you want to know, yeah. there's no stopping you. Yeah. Stopping you. And if you can clue that in earlier, wow, you're way ahead of the game. Yeah. So that was a big yeah. part. Yeah. So what were some other things that you were discovering about yourself, things that you were interested in or things that you were involved in? Um, well, Libraries of Hope actually started, um, I had a friend and this was when my youngest was almost ready to leave home. And she had adopted a little school in the slums of Kenya, Nairobi, mm. Kenya. And she had asked me if I would like to be part of that and help. Mm -hmm. So I never went to Kenya myself, but, you know, through pictures and things that she talked about. Mm -hmm. But um, the first thing, and I was meeting with a group of women and we were deciding different things that could help. And of course, there was a learning curve because I didn't know anything about Africa. But as I would look at these pictures of these little kids and... Um, she would tell me that a lot of them were orphans. A lot of them would come to school hungry, nothing to eat. And there they were sitting on these makeshift benches, so eager to learn. And I thought, what are we doing? You know, what, what is the purpose? That really made me question, what is the purpose of education? Because certainly mm -hmm. getting them college prepped wasn't going to help them at all. And so it was like, what, what can we give them? that is going to benefit them if their life is only another year? Is there something that we can give them that will make that year wonderful? And um, so you'll appreciate this. The thing I said to my group is, we've got to discover, what I wanted to know was what were God's principles of education? What were mm -hmm. his methods of education? Mm -hmm. Because I said, if we can discover what his principles and his methods are, then what we will do will bless those children. And if we're not yep. working in accordance with those principles, then what are we doing? Yep. And so that started me on that intense year long. Well, it's still going on, but it was, you know, it was a very intense year of trying to discover those things and really launched the rest of what has happened since then. How did and you go about it? What did you do that year? Um, well, I started, well, I, I think you have people that are of our faith and are not of right. our faith, but yeah. I had 16 volumes of the teachings of the prophet and I woke up in the middle of the night and went down and it was like, start here. So I went through 16 volumes. I went through the standard works. I started reading philosophies of education, Maria, Charlotte Mason and Maria Montessori, and mm -hmm. a lot of people, a lot of um, Christian education, a lot of just a lot of philosophies, but my standard of truth were in those words of spiritual leaders and in the scriptures. That's where I pulled out the principles. And then as I studied these other methods, then it was, does this align with yep. this principle? And so that became my gold standard of what everything has been built wow. after that. So then once you kind of had collected these principles, what did you do next? Well, then I thought, so I think, um, evidently this is common that your greatest ideas come in the shower. 
Libraries of Hope was born in the shower. You know, it was wow. to collect a, a small uh, library of books uh-huh. and call it, the, the purpose of the books would be to give children hope. And in my mind at this time, it was these children in Africa. Yeah. And that when I started gathering, it was with these children in mind. And actually one of my daughters went to Africa um, several times and, and did some research over there. And she this still just stays with me. In Ghana, there was a little boy. There were a lot of little orphans that had come, come and gathered. I, she was handing out candy or something. And this one little boy held back. And um, so she went out and kind of searched re- or reached out to him. And as she started talking to him, his eyes lit up and he said, can I show you my library? And so she went back to his little room and he had like the back of a couple of catalogs that were torn off that he had by his bed. Wow. That was his library and he cherished that. And I thought, oh, I, I wish I could get books to him. That, that is, you know, that is my heart. I wanna get books to these children that they need that hope. The hope that we get from the lives that we study, it will help them too. And in fact, my daughter said she was talking to one of the superintendents of schools over there. And she looked at her and she said, we need stories. We need stories. We are story deprived. And so that kind of fueled it. And so when I first started looking for stories, I thought that's what I was looking for. But um, as you know, when you do things the Lord's way, he takes you on adventures mm-hmm. <laughs> in past that you couldn't imagine. Mm-hmm. But interesting, there's, you know, in the back of my mind, I've never lost that. And something has happened in the last um, couple of weeks that um, could make that dream come true. And I'm, I'm wow. very, very excited about that. So what a, what a journey this has been. But that's where it started in the shower. Mm-hmm and libraries of hope for the purpose of gathering stories to give. So where were you gathering the stories from? So I had no idea how to go about this, but I just started going on the internet and just looking. And I guess you just learn by doing. And this was probably, gosh, almost 15 years ago. Internet archive was just barely. Yeah. I've been on there so much. Mm -hmm. And they were just beginning, but that's where I started. And I started (laughs) gathering and then it just kind of kept fleshing out. And, and uh, yeah, it's just been, it wasn't like a plan of here's how I'll do it. It was just, well, you mentioned, I think just before we came on air, the lamplighter, the books come Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. That's how it was. The stories came to me, put this one in here, put this one in here. And that's how it's been. So, I know I'm, I, you print them, right? I'm pretty sure you, yeah. So how did, how did you go about beginning to print them? Well, like I said, I knew nothing. Yeah. Well, and to make things really exciting and dramatic, (laughs) you know, at that time we literally were stripped of everything. We didn't have a penny. And I remember in those early years, I'd say, Lord, this would be so much easier if we had money. And he said, if you had money, you would do it your way you got to do it mine, you know, that let go and reach up. And so, you know, it's been an interesting thing. Um, We were living in Utah at the time that I decided to do this formal introduction of Libraries of Hope, and I invited people, and 
We had about 25 people come and I had just been finishing up the first series of 12 books, which is the freedom series. Mm -hmm. And I had, we had exhausted our efforts on finding a printer that would do less than a thousand book run. And we mm. didn't have any money, zero. Yeah. Yeah. So the thought came, go and get a subscription for these books, and then you can print them one at a time. So I went and I had 25 subscriptions in hand, people that would pay money for 25 books. And then we got in our car, we moved cross country, another story, my daughter's husband had joined the military, so we went to live with them. Mm. And I was on the internet one night and just looking around and I just happened to see this, I can't even remember how it popped up, a company that specialized in short run books. And they said they would do hard cover dust jacketed books for exactly the amount of money that I was charging for the book. And I needed a minimum of 25 books. Wow. So I had, and they were only an hour and a half south of us. So I had moved cross country. I had my orders. I moved not knowing how on earth I was going to get the books to them, but the way was provided. And then later, so we, we went with them for quite a while um, that we were, we, every month we would drive down and pick up our little box of books and mm-hmm. send them out. And then um, as I started gathering more stories that I realized this wasn't going to work and I didn't have enough people to keep this going. So I went and spoke at a conference and I had a little vendor class, which I didn't know what it was, but there were two women in there Mm -hmm. and I kind of told the story of the books. And afterwards, this woman came to me. She said, I don't know why I came to your vendor class because my family's storytellers. We really don't need this. But she said, I just felt like there was something I needed to tell you. And so she said, "Um, my husband, I I can't even remember the relation. There was a man, she said, Um, I just feel like you should contact him. And so I did. And we had this conversation. He was this really high and mighty way out of my league person. I thought, I don't know what he can do. But Mm -hmm. then he mentioned, he said, you know, I said, I had these books I wanted to publish. He said, have you heard of Create Space? No, what's that? Create Space had just come on, Mm -hmm. on the scene, print on demand. You can do one book at a time. They'll print it and send it. And it's affordable. So at just the time I needed it, here they were. And that's how it's been. You know, when I first started Libraries of Hope, um, I would say 95% of what I need to do what I do, the technology had not been invented yet. Wow. You know, talk about if you make a plan, (laughs) you know, if you hold on to that railing and say, I'm going to do this my way. No, you can't imagine what the Lord has in mind. And the, the technology will be there at the time when you need it and he'll bring it to you. So that has been the story. Um, I, I still, I just pinched myself that here we, I think we're up to, well, you probably can't see my, my library. I think we're up to about 150, almost 150 titles that we're publishing. Wow. And we're doing this with no budget. I mean, we just, um, it's just miraculous to me, but he doesn't need our money. He just needs us to show up yeah. and, do what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, let's see. Oh, there's so many things I want to ask you. Um, okay. Here's a question I know some moms are going to have, and then I want to get to a couple other things. Um, how did you, this, you know, going back a little bit in, in your life, 
how did you decide what kind of family culture that you wanted or like how you wanted to raise your kids or that kind of thing? Oh man. I, <laughs> I think it's the same answer to the question of how did I start gathering stories is how mm -hmm. I would apply it. It's like a um, learn as you go kind of a thing. I, mm -hmm. I can't say that I had decided this is, well, I will say the governing thing. When I graduated from college, mm -hmm. um, I only remember one thing that was said at the commencement. And the speaker said, every child deserves to have someone who is wild and crazy in love with them. And um, I think that's, my kids will tell you, I, you know, <laughs> I am not a Pinterest mom. Um, <laughs> there's a, you know, I'm not the most organized person. I'm kind of crazy and fly by the seat of my pants. Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of used to that. But um, I hope they all know that they have a mom that is wildly and crazy in love with them and still is. And, and that is the governing, that's the governing. Everything wow. else kind of falls short. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. I love that. Okay. So you have a couple other projects that I want to make sure we hit on. And then I've got some questions from moms and, and those that are on watching um, can be thinking about a few questions they might have for you. Tell us a little bit about well-educated heart. <laughs> uh, so well-educated heart is uh, this has always been the challenge the elevator question oh, yeah so we are very much a mind culture and for me mind is defined by that which you can test and measure that which is tangible yeah. the facts the information even principle mind is good mind is good but the the heart part of us is the part that cannot be seen it's the immeasurable the joy mm -hmm. the love the beauty yeah. And um, in our mind culture, we've left behind the nurturing of that other side of us. Yeah. So the well-educated heart really is all about helping us as mom give our children eyes to see and hearts to feel, mm -hmm. especially those unseen things mm -hmm. that the world. We've, we've become such a literal world. I, I yeah. am sh I'm shocked at the inability to see something as simple as I heard some mothers saying that they had read the ugly duckling and they said, what's the point of that story? You know, what's the point of it? Because that ability to draw those under meanings, the understanding mm -hmm. has in large measure been uh, just cut off. Yeah. Those faculties are atrophied. So um, the well-educated heart is about tending to those unseen things in our lives. So is it, um, it's an education, it, it's a, you have a website and, um, and programs. So tell us a little bit about like how, how does someone get involved? What would they do with Well-Educated Heart? So if you go to welleducatedheart.com, if you look mm -hmm. at Well-Educated Heart as the philosophy mm -hmm. and the Libraries of Hope side as the tools, so okay. the philosophy will, will sh that's where I share how you reach hearts. And it's about the arts. The arts are what cause us to feel. Yeah. And so you'll find a mother's university there and it's all free. Um, the, there's just a lot of things that you can go through. And that's where you would start. If you go to the website homepage, mm -hmm. um, there's some videos on that first page and just watch the well-educated heart 
And if you click on that, it takes you into that, into the philosophy. And then if you go to the Libraries of Hope site, there's, there's thousands of free books you can read online. There's art, there's music, there's plays, there's activities, all the tools. And somebody can come in and just use the Libraries of Hope site with whatever they're doing, that's mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. But if you want to merge the two together in the well-educated heart side, I teach you how to use the tools and then you customize. It's not a curriculum at all. It's a, it's a philosophy and tools mm. and then you customize it for your own family and mm. your own needs. So when you say you teach them how, do you mean just through the videos that are there or there's some kind of structured something that you offer as well? Um, well, the watchwords are, are explore and discover. So mm -hmm. you'll just go in there and you'll find audios to listen to, articles, books to yeah. read. And yeah. you just, there's, there's, it's called the Catch the Vision introductory course. Mm -hmm. I would recommend that anybody start with the Catch the Vision introductory course okay. and then move into the Mother's University from there. Mm -hmm. And then of course they can order hard copies of, of books uh, yeah. from you. Yeah. Or all the books that we print. There's a page if you go to, well, we have a free app you can download. And one of the options is Forgotten Classics. And that will take you to free digital copies of everything that we publish. Mm. Or if you're in the website, if you scroll down to the bottom of any page, there's a blue box that says Forgotten Classics. Mm -hmm. And um, if you click on that, it will take you to all of the books that we publish mm. to free digital copies of that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and, and now at this point, how would you say you spend most of your time? Are you still really avidly collecting? Are you, have you slowed down on that a little bit? How are you? <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I just remember we, we've always been self-employed almost always. And people would say, oh, you're so lucky to work for yourself. And uh, my husband would say, yeah, you get to choose which 18 hours a day you want to work. Oh, <laughs> I get that. But, yeah, we've been self-employed a lot too. Yeah, but yeah. my work is my place. So yeah, I do. I still am gathering books. We're getting, or gathering stories. We're getting ready to release. Um, I hope to release five new series this fall. Um, wow. Depends on what we could do. There's been a lot going on. Yeah. Um, we're building a, a site that has fine art. We talked about that. The simplejoyart.com. Simple joy art. We're building. I'm building. Oh, there's beautiful. Oh. Is it, is it possible to get prints of any of them? How does that part work? Well, or, we're working on that too. Um, you can print. There are some pieces that I've loved on there that I would just love yeah. to have. Well, our new, the Simple Joy Art, so we used to connect everything to art renewal, mm -hmm. and that has some issues with copyright and licensing. Yeah. So the Simple Joy Art is all Wikimedia Commons, which is open, uh, yeah. public domain. And mm -hmm. so you're welcome to print anything out. We actually are, are doing some experimenting with a, with a Gigli printer that we want to make that oh. as an option for people to be able to print. Uh -huh. art for their walls, but um, that's yeah. just another project that we're... Yeah, I remember we had a conversation about it at one point, simply because um, I did study art history for a while in college oh, and have yeah. just been interested in that for a long time and have done, you know, presentations and things, especially around the turn of the 20th century with Art mm -hmm. for Art's Sake and the Oscar Wilde movement and the, you know, abstract movement and all those kinds of things. And and I, re I cannot remember how you said it, but 
um, it was just really it was just really spot on and it's so interesting because it just flies in the face of what goes on at most on most college campuses but really just that the doors began to close on 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 true beautiful art and the you know as you know a big part of that movement was this attempt to tell people you don't actually know what good art is you need art critics to tell you what is what is worth seeing and and that of course has opened the, the way to modernism and postmodernism which has just become so offensive you know so morally offensive so much of it and and so real you know artists that were still seeking to elevate and inspire through their through their art were kind of shut out of the mainstream art community especially you know late maybe second half 19th century especially into the 20th century and that's why I was just got so excited about your collection because that's really what you're you know seeking to you know, bringing these collections together of stories but also this artwork that's that's difficult to find because it's not it's not in the mainstream and 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 the the art world has has turned turned their back on it absolutely and it's the thing that you'll find it <coughs> excuse me in that art well as a art history major you know that you had the religious art and that yeah. that's how they but then you moved into this era that they are now silencing and it's like they're celebrating yeah. life everywhere you go it's mothers and fathers and beauty and children and and siblings with their arms around all these images that we desperately need our kids to have and that publicly we aren't giving them anywhere yeah you know, we shower them with violence and crudeness and vulgarity yeah. so if you take this body of art and that's the work of art renewal is to go back and to bring this art that was purposefully taken out of university yeah. textbooks yeah. and purposefully buried and bring it back into public awareness that's another one of these gifts of the last 10 years yeah. to bring the art images of the art so that we can use them to teach our children what yeah. joyful loving beautiful life looks like oh and, yeah uh, so, so yeah it's it's a well it's the literature of that era the mm -hmm. art the music mm -hmm. all of it mm -hmm. feeds the heart in beautiful good and true ways yeah so the more we yeah. spend our time there the more hope because we will be filled with all those good things wow yep yep you're absolutely right all right let me get to a couple do you, do you have a few more minutes i'll ask you a few of these i do we went longer than five didn't we <laughs> I know. I, could leave when I, was I know. You wanted to get out of it, Marlene. Okay, this is Jill. She said, what is the connection between mind and heart in this scripture? And do you sense that it matters whether or not the heart part is left off, as is very often when quoted? So she's talking about Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And it's often quoted, of course, as, so, as a man thinketh, so is he. Viewing each of you as mentors, my experience has been that you tend to lead with your head. She's talking to me. You tend to lead with your head and Marlene with her heart, which is reflected in the emphasis you've each chosen to pursue in your, in your mission. So I guess she's asking us to both speak to um, how important is it that when quoted this, the word heart is left off of this important scriptural verse. So what would you say about that? Uh, well, um, first of all, mind and heart. 
I think we're both in agreement. Yeah. It's, you have to have both parts, mind and heart. Yeah. And the other, the second thing I would say is that different words mean different things to different people. Yeah. So earlier I tried to define mind as those things that you can test and measure the rules and the laws and the principles, whereas the heart are the unseen things, the love, the joy, mm-hmm. the emotions. And mm-hmm. uh, there was an interesting case study of a man that I read in a book that he developed a brain tumor in the front part of his brain mm-hmm. and they removed it and they thought that everything was fine. And um, cognitively, he was fine. He could remember everything. He was functioning. And then he just started very strange behaviors. He was an executive Mm -hmm. and um, he would do things. He was supposed to be in an important meeting and he'd be out buying paper clips or he was supposed to be at one of his kids' events and he would be doing something that was, it was like he was just not connecting right. Mm -hmm. And further study, they found that Yes, his cognitive abilities were all there, but they had severed that connection to his feelings, if you will. He could no longer measure his actions by what he was feeling to wear them out or to um, weigh them out. And so then the book goes on to talk about that we are mistaken when we think that the brain is in the driver's seat. As much as we like to say that, our mm-hmm. heart is in the driver's mm-hmm. seat. Mm-hmm. And that's why you need to tend to the hearts as a man thinketh in his heart. Our emotions yeah. set us in motion. That's yeah. the meaning of the word motion. And we are in a world, you look at the Humanist Manifesto 1933, they're yep. trying to say, no, we can govern by reason and yep. intelligence. Yep. And so, yep. you know, where has that brought us that we would have a people that would think our reason could kill a beautiful baby and be disconnected to how horrifying that is to destroy life. That's where reason can take you without that governing. So heart, heart, as a man thinketh in us, if you look at the scriptures loaded with heart, heart heartedness locks the spirit, the spirit speaks to his mind and heart. To tack onto that, when I think of heart, especially in this context, I mean, aside from emotions, which are always the driving forces, which is why the worldview, the religious context is always the driving undercurrent of any, you know, civilization, of mm-hmm. course. But I would also say that I, I, I think often of intention and desire as being things that the heart really governs. And those are things God cares very much about and we're constantly reminded you will receive according to your desires. Your desire is what matters. I, you know, I look on your heart, th- what are your intentions, you know, and sees and judges as innocent those with right intentions. So um, those are also, I think, part of what this verse may be referring yes. to as well. Oh, agreed completely. Yeah. Okay, Marnie says, what's, uh, oh, you've already answered this. Talked about what sparked you to do it, what challenges did you run into? Here's a great one. She says, what were some especially rewarding experiences along the way? Oh, the rewarding, the individuals. Um, I think, you know, it, it really was a hard journey to get these books going and the stories just hard. And I was up at a homeschool conference one time and these two little sweet mothers came up to me just with tears 
And they said that they lived in a remote area of Canada. And they said they had internet, but they had no books. They said, thank you for giving me stories to teach my children. And we have mothers all over the world. And I get letters, thank you for giving me stories. And especially now with the COVID, the public libraries are shut down and they don't have access. And so to know that that is provided and especially these stories of history that are being erased so fast. No, yeah. that's what we preserved. We've yeah. got them preserved. And if internet archive went away, we've got them preserved. You stay with us and we will take care of you so that you have stories to tell your children oh. that will give them hope. <laughs> oh, so, so grateful to you for that. Um, okay, Alicia says, do you have any tips on how to engage boys, little and big ones, in a well-educated heart style education? My girls love poetry, tea time, and stories and art, but the boys either prefer to do schoolwork on their own or just want to get it over with so they can go play. <laughs> You're asking a mother of eight daughters <laughs> <laughs> how to engage boys. In fact, of our grandchildren, 14 of the 17 are girls. So I am surrounded by girls and I wow. know that that's an issue. I think girls, but um, it's in the same way. You yeah. look for the things that will connect to them. You know, there's a story that will connect to your boys that will light them up. And I think you just have to get out of that mindset that there's something that you have to tell them and instead listen for clues of what's going to light their fire. And, you know, I, I think when I've talked about poetry tea time, I thought, oh, guys won't like it. No, boys love it. I think they love the hot chocolate and the treats. <laughs> but they, they get their smelly poems in there. You know, they, mm -hmm. it, there's some way to connect with them. Yeah. So it's not something to do and move past. Um, it's, and it's not a matter of not doing other work. It's, yeah. it's something that, well, I think Elder Bednar said it. it. There are things that cannot be taught directly. They can only be caught. And so you're working in mm. this realm of how do you reach boys' yeah. um, stories, yeah. the right stories, the right yeah. music. You just, and not a formal instruction, sit down and listen to me but just finding those things that will catch their attention and connect to them. Yeah. I, uh, while you were talking, I was thinking of several stories that um, my boys just adore and mm -hmm. pieces of poetry that they thought were hilarious or inspiring, you know, so they, ha they may have a different taste, right. um, but they're just as apt to, to like those that correspond with their taste. And I had a mentor tell me once it was such great advice to just begin a book and leave it unread. Yes. Um, and, and that's been great advice too. just start the story. And that often compels them to want to finish it for themselves. Absolutely. And remember, most of the poets were men. <laughs> this is I doubt what I was thinking, too. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Marnie says, I just read one of Marlene's posts about her statu statuary garden. Without saying more, I'd love to hear her talk about it. That's funny. Um, and I, and I don't fault anyone for this, but it's a beautiful, beautiful statuary garden filled with statues. But the only place you can come is if you can crawl into my mind, because that's where it is. Mm. <laughs> it's stored mm. in my imagination. Mm -hmm. And um, all of you can make yours just as beautiful as that is. But I wish I had, maybe someday, maybe in heaven, I'll have my statuary garden. <laughs> is this heart. something that you 
it's just something you enjoy imagining or it's something that's helpful to you if things are rough? Well, it was my way of describing, which I know you know totally about, Mm -hmm. that you read the lives of other great lives and they become an influence. Oh, whether you picture the stories that are stored, their pictures on the wall or as a statue as a way of expressing that they are my mentors. They are my guides. They are my comfort. They are my strength. Yeah. They teach me how to do life. Oh, and it just came in the context of we're build, we're tearing down all of our monuments and our statues. And I was saying, they may tear them down, but you can build them. You can keep yeah. them alive. If you keep them alive in yeah. your children and in your heart, they haven't gone anywhere. And in fact, they'll do more good there than they are some city that you're not by. So yeah. it was just within that context. Well, that's beautiful. I mentioned this probably before in this group. I don't know, but you know, the, the hiding place had such a huge impact on me. And then of course I've read Corey's books. Then I wrote a book about them. I often, I wouldn't say every night, but very, very regularly when I climb into bed, I think of Corey getting in her cot in the concentration camp. And it's, it's an important reminder of, of whose work I'm about and what I'm doing and how much she means and their family mean to me. And I guess drawing strength from her, I have so much abundance and I'm not in a concentration camp, so we're good. That is my go-to. That is what I've learned through my work is these stories will get you through. When I, you know, even now the world is going crazy and the way that I get through it is I go back to those stories. I just pick Mm -hmm. up a story of somebody and they just feed me with, we can do this. I I posted a story about Margaret of um, New Orleans and she had been through pandemic and loss of husband and child and unemployment and everything you can imagine, but she just kept going. She Mm -hmm. just kept serving. And that just makes you kind of just sit up and go, you know, my life isn't as hard as her. I I can, I can do this. (laughs) I can do this. That is the hope. That is where you get the hope. Yeah. That is where you get. I'm sure you've read Man's Search for Meaning um, by Viktor Frankl. I think of that a lot because he mentions two or three times there that within the concentration camp environment, those that fared best physically were those that were already nurtured spiritually and mentally the most. So they were the ones with a more a richer mental and spiritual life. Their minds were full of the stories that they'd read, the education that they'd gained, the connection that they had with God. And that actually that spiritual and and mental nourishment kept their bodies going, which is just so fascinating how that. Absolutely. That is such a a vital lesson to us. And at peril of their lives, Mm -hmm. they would go secretly meet to recite Mm -hmm. that poetry because that was their survival. Yeah. Lesson, huge lesson there for us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is a good one. How have your experiences building libraries of hope prepared you to be a leader? and showed you the way to peace? Well, the second part is easy. I mean, that is the way of peace, is that Mm -hmm. no matter what you're facing, there's someone to teach you the way through it. And that is, um, I don't look at myself as a leader. I, you know, I just, I don't. So I don't even know how to answer that question. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think you, well, that's also another, blessing and benefit of these stories is you just you are compassionate with other people because you know 
everyone has a story and mm-hmm. you just you just find yourself rooting for everyone if that's a, a trait of a leader then i guess that's what they have given me is that you know just understand if you understand someone you you will love them and give them that grace and that benefit wow. you'll want to help yeah that's wonderful Okay, so Nancy asks, what would you say to someone who doesn't believe they should have historical figures as heroes? Hmm. Well, that's the heated question of the day, isn't it? And, you know, you have to come to your own peace. If you're using stories to help teach your children human nature and how to govern their life and how to get through you can't do it without stories from history and you know whether they're factual or not um how how do we know i I keep putting the question out in in today's world how do you know what is true just because it's being said what's the fact of the people that are public figures today Mm -hmm. and so here we are trying to judge people that lived 200 400 years ago Mm -hmm. and we aren't in the context of their world so yeah, you'll go crazy. You'll have to throw it all out because you cannot get to the fact. But that was a lot of the of what the heart educators taught. They were more concerned with truth yeah. than with true. Yeah. And so when you teach yeah. these stories of historical figures, if it teaches truth, then you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, then because your heart knows. Yeah. Because when you read, you know, or are exposed to truth, you know. You know. It resonates. It resonates yeah. in your soul. Yeah. So you can learn from anybody. You can learn yeah. the bad things, the good things. Um, you're gonna, they're gonna go back and forth between bad and good guys, and that's part of just growing up and maturing. I remember reading a, I can't remember who the story in. He says we really aren't old enough to even begin to study history until we're 26, and that's with a huge background to just <laughs> begin because you have to know human nature. Yeah. You have to have context, and so. Yeah. We give kids a few things and we make them feel like they're experts and can judge history. No, you can't. Yeah. So just yeah. read. And that's what so many of the great them. authors said too, right? You know, that really the only true education is adult lifelong learning. The education that happens before then is really, its, its sole purpose is to give you some skills and tools for learning and the passion to keep learning. Desire. Yeah. If all you did was give your kids the desire to keep learning, you you've done your job. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it, it isn't, I think, until you are out there feeling that same loss and pain and struggle and heartache that those stories can really then come to your aid and you can really relate and connect to those who have been through. And don't you think struggle. that's what we are seeing out there is people are operating from a shallow, shallow, shallow puddle of stories yeah, and they can't. There's they they don't have perspective. They don't see through the eyes of other people. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's it, just it, one one example that comes to my mind. Just because I've done quite a bit of research around it, I've been working slowly on a book about faith and studying faith for a very long time. And one of the things that I start out at the beginning talking about is Christopher Columbus. Because if you go back just a hundred years, there's some, in fact, I found these on Internet Archive. For example, the Catholic Historical Society at the four, it would have been the 400th anniversary, 1892, published a, a collection of his writings in his journal to celebrate him. And the introduction to that is so fascinating because it says, 
as the world is clamoring to make the biggest noise about Columbus because everybody in the world saw him as a great man and a great explorer. And I mean, I'll tell you, I was absolutely blown away when I found out he spent the last part of his life working with priests to prove that he did it for God and that he felt called of God from the beginning and that he had answered prophecies in the Bible. And anyway, there's a whole other story that no one ever hears a whole, you know, and so one of the things that I present in the book is look, the evidence never changed. We have all his original writings. They had them from the beginning. We have court cases. We have things from court. We have biographies were written on him almost immediately after he was born. The evidence hasn't changed. And for 400 years, the perception of him didn't change. And suddenly in the last, even just 50 years, we speak and talk about him in a completely different way. And it isn't because we have new evidence. So what's changed, you know? Well, and, and the tra yes, the tragedy of that is you can't even say, you can't even get past the word Columbus. Somebody with that story they've been fed has just put up the guard. Don't, yeah. he's a horrible man. Don't yeah. even go there. Yeah. And I'm, no, danger of a single Go story. read his journals and then we'll talk. Yes. And if you still yes. hate him, you're welcome to hate him, yes. but don't hate him until you know for yourself. Absolutely. Opinions so are fine, but they're just opinions. What we really need to do is be truth seekers and go find out for ourselves. Yes, that is the most important. Yeah. And I would just say that certainly there's a difference between worshiping someone and honoring their efforts and honoring their work. And, and I definitely want to honor those who have sacrificed for the good of others. Okay, so Nicole says, how has the Libraries of Hope that you've done changed you personally? Can you see that this is the mission God wanted you to fulfill? Well, there's two questions in there. Um, yeah, I think I've addressed the second part before that I don't know what the mission is he'll have me fulfill because it, it changed. Well, I can't say it changes, but just different facets of it keep unfolding. Yeah. And um, so I'm here on the journey. I guess that it's, feeling of being on his errand, that feeling yes. of being his agent, his instrument. Right. So know. my job is to show up. I just yeah. keep showing up. Yeah. Um, but it's completely changed my life. Those stories, everything I teach you, I teach because I've experienced it in my own life. And I so want to share that. Yeah. Help you see. And the thing about the heart is it can't be taught directly. And so, you know, I think that's the frustrating thing. Our minds want to come in and say, okay, tell me how to do this. You know, what book do I read or how do I do this? And it's, I, I can't tell you, but when you experience it, it's going to change your life. And that is satisfying as I get letters from others who they feel that. And that's what they'll express. It's like, I just feel this light, this joy that's just come into our home and our family. And I'm okay, you've got it. You understand when you feel the light and the joy, then you've caught it. That's awesome. I think that's a wonderful way to end. I've already taken you past an hour and hope it wasn't too painful. <laughs> I'm really grateful <laughs> I hope it was for so you being here. It's just been a joy. I, it was worth the nagging. <laughs> and like my play, this may be the only interview. <laughs> did it. No, I love you, Audrey. Done. I did it because I, 
we are we're soul sisters. Yeah. We are doing the same thing, empowering mothers, yeah. helping them understand what they can do to make a difference in our world. They are the key in what oh, happens yes. next in our world. And their ability to do this is going to be grounded as you talk about the lives. The lives are going to show them how. They're going to teach them. And so we are, we're just different facets of the same diamond out here. So thank you for all that you were doing. And, um, and I love you for that. Um, and uh, just don't ask me to do another live interview with you. And, you, know, <laughs> I you and I can sit down and have some. Yes, um, I would love that. Have, I would love that. <laughs> the families that have gathered together in the soul group are, and in your group, they are just gold. They yeah. Are oh, totally. Gold. I'm honored to know them. I tell them that yes. all the time. It's just a privilege Absolutely. to show up and have it is. such incredible women to to work with. All right. right. You're wonderful. Can't thank you enough. Mutual admiration society. (laughs) (laughs) Come on over to our, we have a Facebook group. If you're not there, well-educated. Yes, that's right. Yes. Well-educated heart Facebook group, welleducatedheart.com for all the resources she was talking about earlier. You can go join her group and get insights from her there as well. So thanks so much for being here. Have a wonderful. Thanks. Bye-bye.